been going through a series uh, called uh, Stop Going to Church, where our uh, very big hope and our intention was really to provoke your thoughts on this. Um, by now, uh, especially those who have heard, who've been here in the past couple of weeks, know that we are not advocating for you to stop attending church, but we're clearly saying to you, stop coming to church, but instead, we want you to be the church. Uh, Ruben and Gabby, by the way, they, were, they are not here uh, this weekend, but feel free to send them a message. Hey, I miss you so much, but they'll be here, I think, as, as of tomorrow already. Um, but they, Ruben started this series uh, two weeks ago, and Ruben encouraged us to be the church by creating roots, by being so planted in whatever community of Jesus followers you find yourself into. And last week, uh, Gabby uh, challenges us to, uh, and she says, being the church is not just about what happens in these four walls, but it's to go beyond these four walls in order for us to unleash the spiritual purposes that God has in our lives so that we can act uh, lovingly, acts of love, acts of grace, and acts of forgiveness. And so today, I want to talk about our diet what we feed ourselves with and what we do is of major importance. In order for us to grow as healthy, mature individual and as a community, we also need to just stop reading our Bible. And what we're advocating for here today is that we stop eating <laughs> the Bible. And I will unpack a little bit what this means. But what I want us to what I, I want to invite you this morning is for us to get to know more in depth what the Bible really is and how to read it more effectively. And why do I want to, uh, to do that? Why, why does this message make sense in the order of let's stop going to church, but let's start being a church? Mainly because Jesus did the same. Jesus embraced the scriptures to the highest standards. He not only quoted scriptures often and often in these teachings, but he himself was the embodiment. He was the full representation of every single of those words. He lived in that time under the same covenantal laws that all the other people in this time. He respected the laws, he even quoted the law and summarized the laws in his own authority. And even in other situations when he was tempted, the same that we are tempted in the desert, for example, he quoted the scriptures in order to fight back all those temptations. So us as a community that it's called to be the body of Christ, we also ought to be fed by what was most precious to Jesus, the word that came from his father. I like what it says, what Jesus says in John 4, and Jesus tells to his disciple, my food or my nourishment is to do the will of the Father, the things that gives pleasure to my Father, him who sent me to accomplish and to completely his work. 
my food is to know the will of my father and do the work of my father how could jesus know the will or understand what work his father was required of him because he was soaked into the scriptures that reveal the father's heart for all humanity so later in another passage jesus confirms what that will and what that work were about and he says in luke 24 jesus said to them these are my words which I spoke to you while I was with you, that all the things that are written about me in the law of Moses, in other words, in the Torah, in the five, book, the five first books of the Bible, in the prophets, in all these books of the prophets we find in the Old Testament, and the psalm, all that wisdom literature, the psalm, the proverbs, the ecclesiastics, all these things must be fulfilled. And so he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. When he opened their minds, they did not have at that time a Bible like we have in our pockets in, or in our phones. The Bible was only available in, in, a, in the synagogues. But they were so soaked in the scriptures, they had it memorized that a way to digest what, what, what needed to be digested in the scripture was by recalling their memory and who was there. So when we hear that he open their minds like do you remember this passage do you remember what it says here in the torah do you remember what it says here in the prophets so he start opening their minds and he says verse 46 it is written that the christ would suffer and he would rise from the dead on the third day and that repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaiming his name to all the nations beginning from jerusalem you guys are witness of these things Jesus, in his authority, summarized from the law of Moses, from the Torah, all the way to the prophets and the Psalms, that the scriptures were about this messianic figure who needed to come, who needed to live and die on the cross, rise on the third day, so that forgiveness of sins could be proclaimed. That was the will of the Father and the work that Jesus came to accomplish. And later, Paul also understanding the significance of, of this mission, he says, I am not ashamed of this gospel. I am not ashamed of what the scripture says, that, of what all the scripture says. This gospel, this message, this mission that I carry, this is God's, this is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes, to the Jews and also to the Greeks. So in order for us to be the church and in order for us to, to accomplish the mission that is ahead of us, we need to be fed, we need to be well sourced into the Bible and we need to truly understand how to extract what God means to tell us from it. And so this can be very encouraging and very forward and very motivation, but the fact is when we then pick up a Bible and we start reading it. The Bible is a collection of ancient literature. And soon enough, there's challenges on our, coming on our way. We modern readers are faced with many challenges when we open the Bible and we start having many questions. And that is just so natural. And even people outside Christianity, many people are very interested on also opening the Bible opening this, this book and try to understand this book and they also question this book. Some for genuine interest, others for genuine mockery. 
So what I want to present to you today is three guidelines that, are find, that I find that are important for us to understand in order for us to best frame how to read this Bible and how to engage it for our nourishment. Shall we go for it? Do you agree? Otherwise, I might just sit down. Yeah? Okay. <laughs> Thank you. All right. First thing we should understand... First thing we should understand is that the Bible was written for us, but not to us. The Bible is written for us, but not to us. What I mean by that? What I mean is that reading the Bible is a cross-cultural experience. We are stepping into a collection of 66 different documents. I have a, a, a slight uh, design there. 66 documents. They were written in three different languages, in ancient Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. They were written across three different continents, Asia, Near East Asia, Africa, Northern Africa, and Europe. And they were written by at least 40 different ancient Hebrew and Greek authors. And from the moment the first books were written to the last books in this collection, there's a span of almost 1,600 years. This is the document we have in front of us. So all this ancient culture, all this diversity among all these years, all this ancient culture is the vehicle of the Bible's message. That's what we have in front of us. So as we approach this Bible, we, in, 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 many, in, in many times we just need to understand and realize that what the biblical authors saw in what they in the way they described reality was completely different from how we would do in our modern times for example we cannot approach the book of genesis and the story of the creation of genesis and expect to be written in a chronological factual scientific camera footage of reality the biblical authors of that time were lived surrounded by a view of cosmology and they wanted to communicate to the reality, to their audience in the way that it was familiar and it was effective for them. So they described the creation in a very completely way and non-scientific way as we would modern readers would describe with the knowledge that we have. But the realities to which the biblical authors point to, God is the creator of all things. Nature and cosmos obey his decree. We humans are also creation of God and we are creatures in this image. Those realities are not less true. But when we engage those texts, we just need to realize the difference of who the biblical authors wanted to communicate to, but how can the text be for us as well. Understand that the Bible is written for us, but not to us. Another example. Recognizing the cultural assumptions that were so common to the biblical authors is also crucial to our own interpretation of the scriptures. And we need to be humble and approach the scriptures in a humble way and honor that ancient culture to which in order to understand it better. For example, when we read in Luke 2, Mary laid Jesus on a manger, our cultural 
culturally conditioned assumptions are if Jesus, that Jesus was born on the stable because the mangers are unstable. However, the Middle Eastern farmer would read the same text and interpret it in a completely way. And you assume that Jesus was actually born on the private home. In the Middle East, a common peasant home, and this is also supported by archaeology, a common peasant simple home had like one big room with an upper level and a lower level. And on that lower level, they used to bring the family donkey or the cow for the night to protect them from, I don't know, the wolves outside or something, and also for warmth of the family. And in this one room, there was a, a lower level for the animals, and on the upper levels, the family would be there. And so they would put the mangers just near the end of these upper levels in order for the animals to be fed. And so if Joseph and Mary were in the house, there were probably at least four people inside the house, so probably there was not much space to put baby Jesus, and the best place they found would be a manger inside that house. But doesn't this change a little bit our perspective about the, Christian, uh, about the Christmas story? We are used to think that Jesus was laid in, that Jesus was born in the stables. Mary and Joseph arrived in the middle of the night. No one wanted to welcome them. They were all rude to them. And the only place they found were stables or under a carved rock where they would put baby Jesus. And that's not even supported in, in the scriptures itself. But as we understand these cultural assumptions, the Christmas story now actually reveals that someone was very hospitable to them and in their own simple setting allowed them to come in. And this simple peasant family allowed this stranger of the family to come and little did they know that they were accommodating the Prince of Peace, God incarnated in their own house. A completely different way of reading the Christmas story. So how can we get into the biblical author's shoes in order to read the, all these things with more understanding? Here lies the invitation to embrace attention. Embrace the tension between reading the Bible as a, uh, a cross-cultural experience and the discipline of meditation. And the discipline of meditation is this eating the Bible, what eating the Bible, what is all about. Attention between reading this document has a cause, cultural experience, but a discipline of meditation, individual and in community. Read and reread the texts. Ask questions to those texts. Spend proper time into the texts. Go around reading commentaries of people who gave their lives studying this text in deeper. Or find other people to work together on those challenging passages. And for example, we just heard Alia sharing how important it was to, for her to also read the Bible with other people. And share experience and share um, what they've learned together. Because oftentimes, if something in the Bible actually feels a bit offensive or, or strange to us, it's because it's actually conflicting with our own cultural norms. So I want to dive into a very practical example, something that actually a recent experience I had a few months ago, and actually this port, portion of scripture got stuck in my heart. 
In Luke chapter 9, or Luke 9 portrays a set of dialogues Jesus is having with be, uh, different people by the roadside and some of people are, are, are wanting to join Jesus and join his group of disciples and they are volunteering to do it and, or others Jesus are actually recruiting them and calling them to follow him and so in this scene Luke 9 Jesus says to this guy hey follow me but he said Lord allow me first to go and bury my father but Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. As a, very, as a first reading, this dialogue seems very straightforward. There's not much, it's not very complex. But at the same time, it was very disturbing for me. Was Jesus really telling this guy to not even pay respect to his late father, pay respect to his family, and do not even go and bury his father because he must now go and follow him? Honestly, that sounds a bit insensitive to me. This, this, this just didn't seem, thank you, this just didn't seem the same Jesus. This seemed a foreign Jesus to me. This, seemed, this doesn't, didn't seem the same Jesus who allowed a bunch of dudes to lower a crippled guy in the roof and interrupt his message but he was patient enough to understand what was happening and then use that situation this didn't seem the same Jesus who cared for Peter's mother-in-law really well and then she offered uh, some food and he stayed there was Jesus really just having perhaps a bad day woke up and was angry and just shouted at this guy, do not even go and, and bury your, your father. So honestly, I, I, I never understood this text well. And for most times, I just skimmed through it. I didn't spend, honestly, proper time meditating and investigating about it. Until one day, I came across a book called Through Peasant Eyes by Kenneth E. Bailey. A formal biblical scholar, he lived in the Middle East for more than 30 years and he quotes from Syriac and Arabic translations of the Bible and other scholars left, right and center. This guy is like super smart. And not intentionally, I, I was reading this book and in this book he goes on fully studying the life and the ministry of Jesus through Middle Eastern eyes. And on this episode, he says, well, the expression, let me go and bury, means let me go serve my father while he is alive. And after he dies, I will bury him and then come. If the recruiter's fathers had actually died, what was then he doing in the middle of the roadside? Why was he not preparing the funeral and the logistics for these things? So then it clicked to me. It was really important for me to understand that this expression to bury my father was actually a traditional idiom that referred specifically to the expected duty of the son to remain at home and care for his parents until their death. Then and only then would he eventually consider of other options. And this could have taken years and years until he was finally free to follow Jesus as he, as he was being recruited to. So yes, Jesus was still requiring of this guy a radical decision. 
but not the type of radical decision I was interpreting as do not even just go and bury your father and just leave your family and follow me, but rather if you want to follow me, as you see my disciples doing and proclaiming the kingdom of God, it means follow me now, here and now. Do not delay in commit due to your own personal plans. And so this was really an example for me as without intentionally seeking further, God reminded me of the need of not just skimming through what difficult verses or difficult interpretations. What if one day someone would ask me, how would I read this text? I would not have a proper answer to give or I would have given a, 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 a false interpretation and a wrong impression of this Jesus. So again, passages like this are an invitation for us to dig deeper in order to fully understand the meanings. It's very dangerous when we misunderstand what it was designed to communicate or when we misuse the texts to do things they were not designed to. Jesus' challenge to this guy was radical, but now I could comprehend what that radicality mean, meant, and it made sense. So while, we, so while I'm inviting you to be in this stormy tension of cross-cultural experience and, and meditation, one thing that I want you to be sure is that God knows. God knows this is a challenge for us as well as modern readers. And God knew beforehand when these documents were being written and compiled, God knew and He was aware that the Scripture, the Bible, His love letter to humanity had to be read for thousands of generations, for thousands of years. And yet God decided for His Scripture to be like that. He knew and God knows. Why does God know or better, why does God still want the Bible to be this, the, the way it is? Because from the spoken words of God, He made galaxies to existence. And so the same written words that are inspired from Him have the power to still transform our lives in whatever challenges that may come. So Paul wrote to his uh, colleague, Timothy. They were already experiencing cross-cultural challenges as reading the ancient scriptures for them. But Paul also tells Timothy for him to trust the scripture. And so in 2 Timothy 3, Paul says, All scripture, dear Timothy, all scripture, dear church, it is inspired by God. However difficult these things and however tension we might have, all Scripture is inspired by God and all Scripture is useful to teach what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. All Scripture, dear church, is inspired by God to continue shaping our character with the power of God. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. So I'm inviting you to this tension, to this challenge, but I hope that I'm inviting you with the insurance and with the trust 
not mine, but of God's, that all this scripture is inspired by God and can shape our character. All right. The scriptures, all the Bible is written for us, but not to us. Second guideline, second thing we need to understand is that context, literary context, does matter. Context matter. This guy, Tom Carson, coined the expression, a text without a context is a pretext for proof text. What? <laughs> a text without a context is a pretext for proof text. Say to the person next to you, say to the person next to you, a text without a context is a pretext for proof text. I even did some, uh, some uh, movements. A text, a text without a context is a pretext for proof text. What does this tongue twist mean? In other words, when we take, when we take singular Bible verses out of context, we miss their place in the story Bible and therefore it's, da it's very dangerous that we misunderstand the significance and the meaning of these texts. Let me give you two examples. I have a bunch of examples today. When we read the saying of Jesus in John chapter 6 verse 53. Truly, truly I say to you. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and you drink His blood, you have no life in yourselves. Holy cow. <laughs> Is Jesus telling us that in order for us to follow Jesus, we might embrace or is He supportive of cannibalism of some sort? I mean, if we just read this verse, it literally means that, right? There's, you cannot go wrong with those words. It's clear. It's literal. You must eat my flesh and drink his blood in order to have life in yourselves. But when we take this verse out of context, and actually John chapter 6, guys, John chapter 6 is like one of the biggest disclosures of Jesus' meaning and his, his, his messianic figure. And he was talking to the, to, the, to the religious leaders. When we take this verse out of that extended dialogue, we miss the beauty of what was being said. And I'm not going to disclose what he was meaning by this, so go home and read John chapter 6. But you understand how taking a verse out of context is dangerous. Also, we cannot just single out verses and build theologies on that. For example, in 1 Corinthians 14.34, Paul writes, Women should be silent during the church meetings. It is not proper for them to speak. Another holy cow moment. Does that mean that the church principles are that women are always meant to be silent and never meant to lead within the church? If we take this text out of the letter of Corinthians and understanding the church to which Paul was trying to give some important guidelines too. And if we build theologies on that, we might be stepping into very dangerous and hurting grounds. We need to understand. And also we need to understand that it's so 
easy to undermine the authority of the Bible if, you do, if we do cherry-picking verses to make a point. If we ignore their context in the whole story of the Bible, we are misunderstanding the whole meaning and it's very dangerous. Okay, who knows the movie, who has seen the movie Mary Poppins? Yeah? Have you seen the movie Mary Poppins? Or at least you've heard about it, right? Disney movie, very uh, family oriented, love, kind and care to all the children. Well, this guy did a brilliant job and he made his own version of a trailer of the movie Mary Poppins. So I would like to invite us all to watch this trailer. I mean, you see the point. He cherry-picked scenes from the movie. All those scenes are in the movie, but he cherry-picked those scenes and he portrayed Mary Poppins as Scary Mary. And he did a very good job. In the same way, it's so very easy to do the same thing with the Bible, with any theology, with every doctrine. Context matters. How should we answer or interpret passages like the ones I showed to you? Is there any way forward through uh, this to questioning the text in a way that honors the entirety of the biblical text? My suggestion is when, when we read passages that are challenging for us, we read them as we should read anything else in a Bible within its context. If a verse in a story strikes us as odd, we need to ask ourselves, where does this fit into the whole story? Where does this fit into the whole chapter or into the whole book, into the whole letter? Are there other verses that seem to uh, um, uh, be contradictory to this idea? What does the rest of the Bible story says about it? And in that way, we are stepping again into the discipline of meditation and reading and study deeper. And so this brings me to the last point I want to explore today. And I want to increase the level of the context I'm telling about to the micro perspective of what the whole Bible is about. So the third guideline is that we need to understand the Bible as this unified story that leads to Jesus. All the Bible was brilliantly crafted and artistically designed to woven within its different stories and within its different plots a major theme. And the major theme was pointing to the need of a savior or a rescuer of the whole humanity. Throughout the Bible, we read of God partnering with other humans, Moses, Abraham, David, great people. They, they, they made the difference in history, but all of them also failed. And so the story itself generates an expectation of this coming of a royal human leader, someone that could bear God's image without any corruption. And someone that could lead the people into this renewed partnership. The so-called Messiah. We just read how people refer to from the law of Moses to the prophets to, to, wait, uh, to, to the Psalms. All of these point to this bigger story of the fallen humanity in need of a savior. 
And so you can picture this unified story. And I put one of those mosaic, it's called mosaic photos, right? I, I think you, we all know. Each picture plays a part to compose a major result. It doesn't mean that every single passage in the Bible talks about Jesus specifically, but every single passage will play off themes that were introduced right in the beginning of Genesis. The creation of human beings and its corruption, how sin vandalized human beings. The hope for a savior, someone that would crush the devil. And all this Bible and all this passage are pointing towards the need for a Messiah, for rescue of the humanity. So if you have a wonder, why should anyone care about such a collection of ancient literature? Well, this Bible messianic storyline is a big part of that answer. To be a Christian is to be a follower of this Jewish Messiah, this Jesus. And Jesus saw himself as the fulfillment of all the scriptures. And so this, could, this should change the way we read our Bible. which should change the way we, we, we understand and we fit the story into this main plot. First, we should realize that first and foremost, the Bible is not about us readers, but it's about the Messiah. The big storyline is all about this Messiah. And the Bible has something to say to each and every one of us because it's about the Messiah who came to rescue and redeem humanity. And so when two disciples are walking in the road to Emmaus, after Jesus was crucified and these guys are returning home or frustrated by what just had happened. And on the third day, Jesus appears to them and they do not recognize who he, who he was. And Jesus engaged in a conversation with them and he starts talking with them about the Old Testament, the scriptures that they hold. And so Luke 24 says, Then he, Jesus, began to explain everything that had been written about himself in the scriptures. He started with the books of Moses and then he talked about what the prophets had said about him. Again, Jesus is with these guys and he starts unpacking everything that the scriptures were all about. He explained that the scriptures were describing this kind of Messiah that needed to come not to fight against people, but actually to love and to serve people and be put to death. And that this Messiah would need to rise again on the third day. Jesus explained how this Messiah was there in Genesis, right in Genesis, as the snake crusher that his heel needed to be beaten. And what was that all about? Jesus explained through the prophets, surely he went to Isaiah and explained how this Messiah had to be this promised suffering servant that needed to suffer under the hands of man. And certainly Jesus quoted Psalms and how David and others just portrayed in all those poems this hope, um, this deep hope for the Messiah that they had. And so these two guys are completely 
marveled at what Jesus, how Jesus was unpacking, unpacking all the scriptures. And so they asked him to stay with him at home, have dinner with them. And in the end of the dinner, I don't know, when finally they understand who this Jesus was and he magically disappeared, they turn to each other and they say this. It's one of my favorite Bible verses. They say to one another, when he talked to us on the road, it felt like a fire burning in us. How exciting it was when he explained to us the true meaning of the scriptures. These guys had a VIP experience with Jesus. How many of us would not give one kidney to have like an experience like this with Jesus? The Messiah itself unpacking the whole scriptures. And there was a fire burning inside of them because all the scriptures were being unpacking. And this was striking their hearts and their minds as the scriptures should because all the scriptures are inspired by God to shape our character. Don't we want our hearts to also burn inside of us when such amazing spiritual truths are unpacked inside of us? Have we experienced situations like that? Have we experienced when a little bit of Jesus is unleashed inside of us because we, we understand a little bit more about it? So every time we, we, we understand and every time we increase our understanding of the Bible, we understand a little bit more of who this Jesus is. We understand a little bit more of what it means to follow him. And therefore, we are more equipped to go. Therefore, we are not any more ashamed of this gospel. And we are more equipped to go and share Jesus with others. These are just three main guidelines I I gave uh, to you and my hope and my prayer is that within this frame we engage this Bible and we expect from him with all with all with being humble with the, with a humble approach we expect what to what God wants to tell in our lives. The worship team can come and I just wanted to close in prayer. Dear Father, help us to open your love letter every day. Help us to start by opening it every day consistently. Father, help us to not open just for information about history or spirituality. Help us not just to open as a, a grab bag devotional book where we can just pick and choose what inspires us or what makes us feel good in the moment. But Father, help us to open it in order for us to listen to you very carefully, Father. And help us to respond in prayer and in obedience. Father, my prayer is that the message of today will help us all to engage with the Bible not just for self-serving purposes, but to get us into this formative, life-changing discipline 
Father, I thank you because you cared so much for generations and for all people. You care so much that you produced something so precious directly from your heart. Father, help us to embrace it with our lives and give us wisdom, give us understanding, inspire us, lead us through your spirit and through your power so that we might become more and more people who bear your image and mirror you to all the people around us. This is our prayer and we pray in Jesus' mighty name.